Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. I, I just want to take this morning and just bleed my heart on you. Is that okay? Can you put Isaiah 62? I want you to see this. Isaiah 62, and we'll start with this, but I just want to pour out my heart to you. If this would, you know, I'll, I'll see you again and most likely talk to you again. But if I were to share with you the thing that's on my heart the deepest, it's God doing this. Isaiah 62, verse 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Do you know God rejoices over you? No, no, do you know that? God rejoices over you. And look at what the revelation of the rejoicing God does to people. Look at what it does. Next verse, verse 6. He says this, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. Give God no rest until he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now the fullness of that verse is going to be when Jesus returns and makes Jerusalem his throne and Jerusalem will become the praise of the whole earth. This is still a future reality of what God's going to do when Jesus returns and makes what Jeremiah 3 calls Jerusalem is going to be called the throne of the Lord. The whole city is going to be called the throne of the Lord. And he's going to make Jerusalem a praise in the whole earth. But I, I want you to skip back to verse 5. And now we're going to, I, I read the verse. Yeah, that's a great one. Go to 6 and then we'll go to this one. Verse 6. Look at that phrase. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. And they will never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention, do not keep silent. Keep that verse up there. Give God no rest. The God who never rests sets people in the place of intercession who will give him no rest. The God who never sleeps or slumbers, who is inexhaustible, who is timeless, who is set, who knows what he's going to do. What is it about God who knows what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, but yet puts human beings on the earth to remind him of what he said he's going to do? What does that tell you about the way of God? about the will of God and how God's kingdom is released into the earth. He doesn't want to do it devoid of your partnership. He doesn't want to do it devoid of you telling him what he told you to tell him. And I believe with all my heart, I feel like part, I, I, and, and the hundred million is literal phrase. I believe God's going to raise up a hundred million full-time intercessors across the earth who will fill up houses of prayer, fill up praying churches, and fill up mission bases that will be set in a full-time way to labor and intercession for the return of Jesus and Jerusalem to become a praise in the earth. I believe we're living in a very historic hour of human history. You know, 2,000 years of Israel displaced from their land returns back in 1948. Jerusalem under her control in 67. We are living in an unprecedented hour. The signs of Matthew 24 are increasing exponentially. And in the midst of that hour, we're going to see the greatest revival and the greatest outpouring of the Spirit we've ever seen. So this is not just a, hey, we're just going to get on with life. 
We're, we're being prepared for the greatest hour of human history. Now go back to verse 5. I want you to see this. And then we'll, then we'll jump into what it is. I want you to see that phrase, so show your God rejoice over you. As a young man marries a virgin, so show your sons marry you. And he's talking about Israel to the land and all that kind of stuff. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so show your God rejoice over you. What is the fuel? And, and I believe God's going to set full time. If we saw Anna and Simeon in the temple in a full time way before the first coming. In Luke 2, you see two people, Anna and Simeon, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with prayer and fasting. They were there when the eight-day-old baby came in. I believe that they're a picture of what God wants to release across the earth. And what is going to be the fuel for this intercessory army that God's going to release? It's going to be the revelation of God. And now I want to talk to you. Can you go to Ephesians 1? So this is what we're about. I'm going to trumpet it. I want to model it. We want to train. See, I don't believe, I believe God's even changing how we understand church planning. We've planted churches that build prayer rooms. God's flipping the script and he's planting prayer rooms that become churches. Saying, you're going to first learn how to minister to me and look at me and connect with my heart and my plans. And I want to build community, not around talking people to the prayer room, but that is the core DNA of what the whole house is about. It's not for the quote-unquote intercessors. Matter of fact, I don't see the calling of an intercessor in the Bible. I believe it's, the, I believe it's your new creation identity. Every one of you are intercessors. Every one of you are intercessors. Why? Because our older brother forever lives to make intercession. And you've been born into an intercessor's family. It's the family business. It's the family ministry. Some of you were born into doctors and lawyers and teachers' families. Friend, you've been born into an intercessor's family. And it's, the minute, and it's what the family does. We stand before God on behalf of men, and we stand before men on behalf of God. We're joined with, into that ministry with Jesus, offering up weak words that we believe change real people's destinies. See, the whole, the whole body's going to do that. And so I just believe we're in the middle of a great shift in what we're touching here at Upper Room. I'm just jealous because I feel urgency in my heart that the hour is short. The hour is short, and we don't have time to, to figure everything out. Jesus' Jesus's zeal is screaming, and I believe he's going to shake everything that can be shaken until we get to the simplicity of him again. What do you think about that? It's going to be more disruptive. I don't have anything against anybody. I'm not thinking about any group or any church or anything else like that. But the days of celebrity Christianity, it's over. It's over. The days of us paying certain people to go talk to God for us is over. 
the revelation of the priesthood of all the believers is coming forth. We're not going to live on a distance. and The days of, you know, what I call 45 minutes and 20 bucks are over. The days of Sunday-only Christianity are over. I don't know all what it's going to look like, but I know that we're going to buy into the fact of talking to Him. I believe God's going to rearrange our Tuesday nights. He's going to rearrange our Wednesday mornings. He's going to rearrange our Thursday at lunches, our 6 a.m. prayer. I'd love to see a man's prayer meeting come forth out of this place. A 6 a.m. prayer meeting for our families and for revival in this city, for businesses in this region. Why couldn't we have a 6 a.m. men's prayer meeting? Why couldn't we gather together and cry out to God for our marriages and our children and say, Lord, here we are. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, and we know that you'll fill us with strategies about how to reach our 14-year-old son's heart that's disconnected from us. That you'll give me strategies, God, when I don't know what to say to him, and I feel like I've lost him, and some of it's my fault. How do I reconnect with him, God? God washes you in his blood, breaks the shame off you, and then gives you strategies about how to go after your son. That's what happens in the place of prayer, and we can't do this on our islands anymore. If the, if the Holy Spirit's screaming one thing through 2020, we're going to need each other for the days ahead. We're going to need each other in relationship and in the place of prayer. So I... I, I it's going to be shaking and it's only going to increase. 2020 was the beginning. And it's only going to intensify over these coming years and I feel the urgency of the hour. I feel the urgency of the hour to help get a generation of intercessors that can come into cities and shift atmospheres. Jesus. the revelation of the knowledge of God because for the, we're living in one of the most traumatized generations. We're living in one of the most divided, one parent homes, the war in the home and the family. It's going to require a different wineskin to navigate and to develop and to disciple the people in this hour. Lord, we love you. We love you. I have a message. I just can't really get to it. I just want to share my heart. This is my heart. This is what gets me up in the morning. It is intense. And you're like, man, it's intense. It, it isn't, but it's not. I'm like, I'm excited. Jesus, I've never been more excited than I am right now. Because he's going to do it. He's going to shake everything that can be shaken. He, we're going to see a whole generation come back. I don't care about the statistics. I don't care about the statistics of what's happening to Gen Z and the millennials and everything jacked up because we've got to see a shift about what we build around. And I believe they're going to come flocking in when they reconnect that this thing's built around him. Because we've got to break through into just giving people four, four messages on how to become better husbands and wives and children and home groups and all those things are awesome but we haven't connected a generation to looking at God. We haven't taught people how to look at God and 
and break through the awkwardness of your boredom with him. And break through the awkwardness of your shame with him. But you don't know what to say. And your majority of your prayer times are repenting for what you did last night. And God's like saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I'd really like to bring you into some more interesting things like me. And about who you are to me. And about what I have planned for you. I'd really like to deliver you from your religious prayer life. I'd really like to deliver you from you going through your list so you feel better about yourself. I'd really like you to look at me. I'd really like you to behold my son. I'd really love you to connect with what's in my heart. You're in my heart, and I want to blow your mind with the spirit of revelation. I don't want you living at a distance and checking me off a box. Any husbands like that? Any wives like that? I'm not saying like that, which means this. The greatest thing we long for in our marriages is eye contact. The thing we long for with our kids is eye contact. I want to connect with you at a deeper level. I don't need a roommate. I don't need a roommate. I want someone to connect and to share life with. Huh? God's the same way. (laughs) That's why he says, my house. This is how we do things in my house. You're going to look at me. (laughs) Even when I'm going to force you to look at me. I'm just playing. (laughs) But, you know, anyway. Can you put Ephesians 1, 16 through 19 up here? If there's one prayer that I can just tattoo on your spirit, it's this one. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, and that you would know three things, the hope of his calling. Number two, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And number three, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. There's one prayer that I can give you. If I'm going to give you my last thing, it's that you would know that inside and out. And that you would have this phrase on the inside of you, Father, reveal to me your son. It's going to be the revelation of God. It's going to be the revelation of the knowledge of God. We receive salvation freely. Everybody just lock in a few more minutes. We receive salvation freely. It's the free gift of righteousness. It's the free right standing, the free acceptance, the free blessing, the fullness of the Spirit living on the inside of me. Paul had spent 12 verses laying out pretty much your bank account to you. He says, in Christ we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. You're accepted. You have an inheritance. You're chosen. You know the mystery of his will. You know what he's given you. He goes, here, I've laid out the bank account. You're all trillionaires. But most of us just stop there. The the reading of the bank statement launched Paul into now saying, here's your bank statement, and now I'm praying that you actually live in your bank. 
That you actually not just dance around what you have, but you begin to access it. And you begin to live in the reality of what's been given to you in Christ. And so many of us are professional ATM dancers. I'm serious. I got it. 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 It's in there. It's in there. Paul's like saying, I don't want you just dancing around it. I want you to go on it so that that which is yours would become fully manifested on the inside of you. For it to become your reality. For you to consciously walk in it. For you to consciously live in acceptance. Consciously live in belovedness. Consciously live in the revelation of where this thing is going. Consciously live in the revelation that the Holy Spirit has sealed you. I don't want you just saying things. I want you walking in things. And I want to say this to you as clear as I can. That is the free gift. But to access these realities, it's spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger accesses the deeper things of God. Accesses that which has already been given to you. I'm not laboring for righteousness. I'm laboring from righteousness. So I'm not trying to get into more right standing with God. What I'm trying to do is to get revelation of the room I'm already in. That's what I'm hungry for is God. I want to be fully absorbed into my reality. And it's more than just resting in it. Yet there's a labor to enter into rest. There is a labor. There is a striving. There's a pushing to push into the more of God. This is what consumed the Apostle Paul. Is he the man who was more secure in the beloved identity? The revelation of the grace of God was a man possessed. He was possessed. He was eaten up with divine zeal to fully lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of him. And I believe that God wants to blow your mind. I just want to say it to you. There is more. There is more. Paul says, good, you're all billionaires. You've stepped off the harbor into the boat. Now my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would cut the ropes of the boat and that you would begin to sail into the Pacific Ocean called the revelation of Jesus Christ. That you would begin to get delivered from religion and you would get brought into revelation. That you would come out of living on the fringes of a kiddie pool reality. And that you would begin to swim deep in the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of the Father. The knowledge of the Son. Supernatural wonder touching your spirit. Supernatural exhilaration touching your spirit. Fascination touching your spirit. Inebriation touching your spirit as God reveals God to the human spirit. You were made for this. There is nothing in this world that can touch the longing that was created by God and that will only be answered in God. And it's not just a once, now I'm not going to hell. It is a living reality of living an eternal life. Can you put Philippians 3 up here? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now tell me, Paul, go to, go to, there we go. But what things were gained to me? He lays out pretty much his pedigree in verses 1 through 7. He goes, hey, man, I, I was really awesome. 
but then I met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he bankrupted my piggy bank in four seconds. And a 20-year doctorate was found as horse manure, cow manure in 10 seconds. But what things were gained to me, these I've kind of lost for Christ. Verse 8, I indeed count all things lost, look at this, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everybody say the excellence. Now say it softer. Say the excellence. Now then I say it a little louder. Say the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. What is the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? What is the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord? He goes, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Verse 10, oh, that we would get somebody to get this tattooed on your spirit, that I may know him. Somebody get that tattooed on your spirit, Paul. Don't be religious. You know him. You're fully in. You got it. He goes, yeah, buddy. He's the Pacific Ocean, and I've got job security of searching him out. Do you know you're never going to get used to Jesus? You're never going to get bored with what do we do next? You know, you're, there's never going to come a time where you go, what's going to happen now? You're going to have fresh resurrected drool rolling down your resurrected lips forever as fresh discoveries of the glory of this man hit you over and over and over again. I'm not playing with you. Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come, he's going to show the exceeding riches of his kindness, which means you're never going to get over the fact that you're here and that you've been brought into this place. You're never going to get over that. And you're never going to get over the fact of who he is. It's wonder and fascination and revelation that's the source of the Christian life. And as soon as you get bored, you start dying. As soon as you arrive, you start dying. Because Christianity is not about filling the blank quizzes, answers to all your doctrinal statements. It's about wonder. It's about fascination. It's about discovery. It's about search and discovery of a man. About fully being lost in this man and all that he is and discovering the glory of who he is in every season of your life. I want to know him. And that word know, you can put the word experience. You can put, I want to experience him. Because I knew about him. Nobody knew more about Jesus than Paul. But nobody was further from Jesus than Paul before he met him. I want to know him in two realms. And this is going to be the statement of your journey here on earth. You're going to know him in the power of resurrection. Watching him resurrect dead things, dead relationships, dead realities on the inside of you. And number two, you're going to encounter him in suffering. You're going to share with him and fellowship with him in his suffering. That is a part of our journey. 
Jesus showed us that it's through suffering into resurrection. And as you get to know him, you're going to know him in suffering and into resurrection. And you're going to discover facets of his beauty, facets of his glory. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Verse 12. We don't know what to do with that one. All right. I'm not already attained. Time out, Paul. You're not there yet? No. I'm not already perfected. But what do you do then, Paul? I press. I'm going to give you some words today that I don't hear a lot about in these days, and I want the Apostle Paul to mess with you. Press. What does that look like? How does it mean to press from rest? How do you press from rest? I believe the more at rest that you enter into, the more press is awakened because he's laboring through you. He's striving through you. The Holy Spirit within you is reaching out for the fullness of God of what you were made for. That's why Jesus said in John 5, me and my Father are working. I press on that I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. The day you were born again, Jesus picked a fight with you. He laid hold of you. I always picture Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord when I see laid hold of. And Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Let's keep going. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there. But there's one thing that I do every day when I wake up. One thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Two realities that you need to wake up every day and forget. You need to forget your failures. You need to quit dictating the terms of your relationship based on your last week. You need to quit telling God how he can love you based on how worthy you feel about yourself. We need to get out of spiritual pride, spiritual arrogance of telling God when he can love you, how he can love you, and where he can love you. You need to forget the things that are behind you. And number two, you need to forget your successes. We don't live in the memory of how awesome we were five years ago or how horrible we were five minutes ago. We forget the things that are behind us and we reach forward to those things which are ahead. So this is what I've asked myself. If that man wrote the book of Romans, who gave us the doctrine of the grace of God, if that man gave us Corinthians and gave us some of the greatest revelations of, of the grace of God and our identity in Christ and new creation realities, why is he pressing? What's he reaching for? What's he laboring for? What's possessed him? I believe it's the, fuel, the full revelation of what he had been brought into. Can you go to Revelation 4? 
Lord, we love you. It's good, it's good. Might feel heavy, but whatever. Do with it what you want. Everybody lift your eyes. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus lifted his eyes. He did it before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did it before he fed the 5,000. And he did it before he prayed John 17. Who's he looking at? Who's he looking at? Why is he looking up? Because the Father's up there. There's two concentrated places where the presence of God is manifested in a, in a direct way. The throne room and your spirit. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. But there's two concentrated places of the presence of God. Throne room and your spirit. If there's one thing that I can end these last 15 minutes with and give you the call to, it's the hour to lift our eyes to the throne room of God. It's the hour to let the throne life and the throne love and the throne power possess your soul. In the Lord's prayer, it didn't start with asking for something. It started with looking at someone. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is talking about Revelation 4. Jesus is taking us to the throne room of God. I want to, what I'm about to, to walk you through is not Disney World. It's not some ethereal place. It's not symbolic. It's a real place that's happening right now. This is your reality. And I think if there's anything that got exposed in 2020, we've been looking in the second heavens more than we've been looking in the third heavens. Our gaze has been way too low and our minds have been entrapped in the spirit of this age. Principalities and powers have governed and we haven't broken through into that place. That's what we were singing earlier about Matt, the new and living way into the holiest of all. It's time to lift your gaze. It's time to lift your eyes and lift your heart and begin to familiarize yourself with the throne room of God. I remember my wife wrote a quote from John G. Lake, who was a famous, you know, he's a Pentecostal father. I love the man. His teachings changed my life. And uh, uh, my favorite quote my wife put on, a, uh, put on one of my old prayer room walls way back in the day. And he goes, friends, we need a coming up into God. He goes, we've been walking around. He goes, I want to see Jesus. He goes, I want to see Jesus. Well, he, and he said this phrase, and at first it really offended me. He goes, well, don't look to Calvary because you won't find him there. He says, lift up your eyes to the throne. And let the throne life and the throne love and the throne power possess your soul. Till you become a new man in Christ Jesus. And your song become the song of the victor and the march, the march of the conqueror. Let the throne life and the throne love and the throne power possess your soul. 
Colossians 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ. Who's been raised with Christ? If you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Seek those things where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's not an idea. It's not something to help with hard days. We are called to be so heavenly minded, we might be earthly good. We need to be so lost in heavenly realities, in throne room realities, in throne room thoughts, that it actually informs and brings the power from another age. Because the world around us don't need band-aids of just human wisdom. They don't need just a nice little self-help pep talk. We need power of the Holy Spirit, words that weren't born of human wisdom, but born of the Spirit of God that can actually bring healing to a lost soul, that can bring deliverance to a broken soul. Phrases, not how much you talk, but where it comes from. Many of us are thinking we're bringing healing by all of our words. It's putting Band-Aids on gaping wounds. I want to bring healing with words that were born of God. So you got to learn how to ascend so you can descend. you got to learn how to ascend so you can descend. And I, what I love about this, guys, it ain't about some guy just bound up in a prayer room. i got a, I got a vision right now that moms will be walking around, talking to Timmy, cleaning, cleaning diapers, and singing in tongues all through their day. And they just move in and out of tongues, phrases, worship, Stop that. Jesus, I love you. You're beautiful. You're glorious. Stop that. <laughs> and you just move in and out of Timmy, Jesus, awesome. And Timmy begins to see things. Why is mom crying when, she, when she's looking at Jesus? Jesus is not a once-a-week meeting. He's a real man, and I can feel his presence. When the atmosphere shift, that's the greatest gift you're going to give your kids. It's going to be your tears when looking at Jesus far more than just your words about following Jesus. we got to get lost in looking at him. It's not about the information. It's about the wonder and the worship. And God, I need you in an atmosphere filled with God. And when you do it wrong, you say you're doing it wrong. I'm getting back to the throne. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. There's a door standing open over every one of you, and there's an invitation. I don't care how jacked up you are. There ain't nobody else God has to work with than jacked up folk like us. All right? So get over yourself because there's no special group out there. I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. First voice which I heard, come up here. Come up here. Here, I want to show you things. Verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, one set on the throne. Your prayer life will either rise or fall based on your ability to see the throne. The throne. There's a throne set in heaven. All your prayers, all your love, it all accumulates at a throne. 
a real throne that's set in heaven. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of mercy. It's a throne of righteousness. It's a throne of power. It's a throne of glory. There's a throne and it's set. Everybody say set. Which means it's immovable. There'll be no coup. There'll be no conspiracy. There'll be no overthrowing. That throne was set at the flood, Psalm 29 says, and it sits as king forever. That throne is immovable. It's far above every principality, every power, every ruler, every dominion, every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. There's a throne set in heaven. And Jesus sits on that throne, and he's raised you and me up to sit with him in that heavenly place reality. One sat on the throne. What's he look like, John? I don't know, but I'm going to give you a bunch of likes to give you the best thing I can come up with. And he comes up with ancient stones like a jasper and like a sardius, verse 3. To the ancient reader, that would be blinding light and burning fire. God is light and God is fire. God is beauty and God is passion. It says in Timothy that he wraps himself with light as with a garment. And we know his name is fire, consuming fire. He's passion. He's not a ball of light at a distance. He's the God who's up in your business. He's the God who comes after you, who's in hot pursuit of you, who comes after humanity when he doesn't want when we don't want him he says not so fast a third of the angels threw down and god didn't become an angel he's beautiful he's burning and there's an emerald rainbow surrounding his throne he relates with us through the lens of mercy who's grateful for his mercy because if we know that fire was let loose on the planet, nobody could stand. And that's why around the throne, keep going with me. This is what mercy looks like, verse 4. Around the throne, 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. Everybody say sitting. Nobody sits in the presence of God. Angels are flying. Elders are falling. But the redeemed sit in the presence of God. He sets you on thrones in his presence. You know why? Because you belong there. You're his ruling aristocracy. You're his ruling class who makes judgments with him, that rules with him. He sits you in his presence, number one. Which means this, we're not just his cheerleading squad. Go, Jesus, go. Go, you're awesome. He goes, no, that's not fully what I was after. When I said, what is man that I'm so mindful of him? I've crowned him with glory and honor. He sets us in his presence. But he doesn't just set you. He sets you in right standing, clothed in white robes. Which means this. He imputes and imparts his very own righteousness to you. Which means you're as clean as Jesus is in the presence of God. And you're as close as Jesus is in the presence of God. That's awesome, Jesus. Okay, I'm sitting and I'm clothed. But he goes, now we're also going to dignify you. You're crowned. He crowns us with loving kindness. But he crowns us with real acts. He really rewards us based on decisions that we make. And he dignifies our weak choices. 
It matters that you love unlovable people. It matters that you forgive difficult people. It matters that you pursue hard people. It matters that you love. It matters that you fight. It matters that you serve in secret and give in secret and do it. You know why? Because there's one who sees. And he who sees in secret will reward you openly. Which means this, he dignifies you. He actually crowns you. Now here in a second, we're going to throw those crowns down. But he's going to put them back on. And he goes, do it again. Do it again. I'm going to keep crowning. You keep falling. I'll keep crowning. You keep casting. I'll keep crowning. You keep casting. And it's a life lived before the eyes of one. You are sitting in the presence of God. You are robed in the presence of God. And you are crowned in the presence of God. What's going to happen when we really believe this? Verse 5, we'll come back to the church. Lightnings will come back to the church. Thunderings will come back to the church. Voices will come back to the church. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord will get restored in our pulpits. We'll get restored in our homes. We'll get restored in society. Get restored in culture. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord makes, breaks, and shakes. Makes the deer give birth. Shakes the wilderness. And breaks the cedars. The God of glory thunders. You're going to get your voice back. You know how, you're going to, how, you know how the church is going to get our voice back? By learning how to ascend to the throne. It's from the throne that voices proceed. You'll get your voice in the throne. You'll discover your calling in His. Now, almost done. Six, verse six. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. Think about that one sometime. What is a sea of glass? What's a sea of glass? What does that even look like? Could you draw it? Who could draw it? I don't even know what a sea of glass looks like. I don't know if you could see the 20,000 miles below you of the translucent glass. We know in Exodus 19, they sat on the blue pavement and they ate and drank with God and they saw the God of Israel. That blue pavement is a real fixed place. When I'm praying, Corey's not in Kansas anymore. I'm standing on a sea of glass and I'm staring before the throne of glory and I'm beholding and loving him. I'm on a real place. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes. You're going to meet these guys one of these days. Full of eyes. Everybody say, full of eyes. Okay? In front and in back. Eyes don't go on your backs. Eyes don't go on your backs. They do in the throne room. What do they do? One's like a lion, calf, living creature, face of a man. Verse 8. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. They do not rest day or night. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
Why did God give them all them eyes? Why? Why would God? This is the blank slate God. He can do it however he wants to. It's my throne room. This is how I want it. Throne, 24 thrones, lightning, thundering voices, and then let's just throw it into the party. Four living, burning creatures. And let's do this. Fill them with eyes. Fill them with eyes. Fill them with eyes. And it says around and within. So not only front and back, around and within. Which means their insides are made up of eyes. Their whole being's made up of eyes. Why? What does this tell you about God and about how the enforcement of his kingdom is released in the earth? Revelation is the source of everything. Revelation is the source of everything. They don't even talk until they've seen. They don't talk till they've seen. They do not rest day or night. Why'd God give them all the eyes to look at him? Why don't they stop? Why don't they stop? Why don't they stop? It's because he never stops breaking in with fresh discoveries. They've been in the same room with the same person singing the same word forever. They've never gotten used to it. They've never said, what are we going to do next? And God wants it that way. Because we know they're going to say, I've never seen you like this before. And then crowns will start getting cast down. So the burden is not on saying something. It's on seeing someone. The call of your life is to see before you speak. To hear before you speak. And that's why we build our lives in a way I call my life. I want my life to be a landing strip for the spirit of revelation. That's why I want to wake up early. That's why I pray in tongues for hours a day. That's why I try to skip some meals during the week. I'm not earning it. I'm honoring it. I'm not doing it to get God's attention. No, I'm just saying it's gold you're giving out there. Let me honor what you want to give to someone. Because Psalm 25 says the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And to them he will show his covenant. And I, it's not about earning. It's about honoring. It's about everything. About your honoring what it means for God to give a little bit of who he is to someone, and you go, three minutes in the presence of God is worth three months. For God to whisper about his son to my spirit and answer a thousand questions. It don't feel awesome most of the time. You're not mostly in the throne room. You have a couple of those encounters. Most of life doesn't feel awesome, but then you wake up feeling awesome. You don't know when it happened or how it happened, but it happens. I believe if there's one thing that I want to give you, this is what's going to source a generation 
is the spirit of revelation. I want to put salt on your tongue. I want it to shift your sleeping patterns. I do. I want you to get up earlier. I want you to go to bed by 10. If you're late night people, stay up later. But you carve out time because no relationship happens on accident. Nothing happens on accident. No marriage is nurtured on accident. No, no relationship with your kid is nurtured on accident. It's intentional. It's focused. It's deliberate. You say no to other things to say yes to the value of this one. We understand that with human, but we talk about God, don't get religious. No, it's honor. It's honor of the value of who he is. And I want to build a, a force field around my life because I have a thousand other things vying for my time and my attention. God. And that's why I, I want to shift my life. That's why I'm going to say no to some things. That's going to say yes to other things. And I'm going to shift it because you're not going to bump into it. Proverbs 2 says, if you seek her as silver and search for hers for hidden treasure, you will find the knowledge of God and understand the fear of the Lord. So that's why you want to get up earlier. You want to create space in your time. There's some people in your life, they need to move to once a month coffee buddies instead of hanging out every day, buddy. Let the Lord tell you about who they are. You might be them, so get on fire and call your other friend into it. <laughs> I've been him. I've been the person dragging someone else down, and I've been the other person saying, I gotta, I gotta move faster. I gotta, I gotta, put, I gotta get, whatever, stand. God wants to thrill you with himself. God wants to blow your mind with the revelation of him. And I just want to put salt on your tongue today and ask that God would give you the gift of hungering for him. Colossians 2 and says, in, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid. So let's just ask God to cleanse our eyes, wash our eyes. I feel like there's two great scales that are, that are blinding the eyes of the church. It's perversion and religion. Perversion and religion. And God wants to cleanse our eyes and open our eyes. That's why Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be opened. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips because my eyes have seen. Let's put our hands over our eyes. Let's just pray a prayer of repentance, then I'll bless you and get you guys out of here. I want to say I love you. I believe that God is doing something so special here at Upper Room Frisco. Just, just tell him, you know Jesus has eyes of fire? The man has torches in his eyes. Just say, Jesus, I love you. I'm your favorite. It's me. I ask you right now to wash me in your blood from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Remove from me all forms of perversion and all forms of religion. Cleanse my eyes. Cleanse my mind. Cleanse my emotions. I receive your cleansing. I, I receive your washing. And in the name of Jesus, I shut every door to darkness. 
I break all agreement with darkness. And in the name of Jesus, I open up new doors. Doors of light, doors of revelation, doors of encounter. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan, I command you, leave my mind, leave my emotions, leave my desires. You are not my master. Jesus is my master. So I command you to go. 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 Now just lift your hands, and I just want to pray that Ephesians 1 prayer over you. Just say, Father, give me the spirit of revelation. I want to see. I want eye salve. Touch my eyes. Restore wonder. Restore fascination. Make me a burning one. Father, I thank you for this house, and I pray that the spirit of revelation, you would put your name here. And that the spirit of revelation would rest in this house. And that you would build your church here at Upper Room Frisco. God, that you would expand to the right and to the left. That our children would be taught by the Lord. I declare Isaiah 54 over this house. Great shall be the peace of your children. I declare that you're going to lay foundations with the sapphires and the rubies. I thank you, God, that no weapon formed against you will prosper. God, I, I thank you for Jeremy and Ashley. I thank you for who they are to you, Jesus. They're so dear to you. And God, I just speak blessing over them. I thank you for them. And I just pray, Father, that you would flood them with the spirit of revelation. I'm your shield and I'm your buckler. Yeah, I'm your... I bless this couple. I bless the team here. And God, we just pray, God, bring forth every one of your promises. Bring forth your full will. Bring forth your full inheritance here at Upper Room Frisco. I thank you for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand.